Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Right. Hello. Hello, Lon. How are you? Yeah, just getting uh things set up here. Got some of your your books on display. I think you're muted. Can I ask you to unmute? I'll make you co-host. In case you need extra control of the screen for anything. I can't see or hear you, so I'm assuming you're just getting set up. All right. Check, check. Got it. Hello. There we are. I think I'm unmuted now, and it looks like I've got a video. How's that? Oh, now I can't hear you. Now I, I'm not hearing you. All right, let's see. How's that? There I am. Yeah, I just disconnected. This thing usually works, but sometimes it's finicky, so we don't need it. Okay. Yeah, you got some good books in the background there. There's some good authors these days. Uh, it's it's not Victorian times anymore. Yeah. What's in the jar? What? Oh, here. Yeah. This is my inkwell. How how charming. Yes. Um, I had a beautiful metal quill. It, this was a, my Christmas gift in 2018 and for my friend when I was staying with her in Berlin. And uh, I had a little inkwell pen that came with it. But while I was doing a book lecture thing at the Kelly's Tower in Prague, um, the, <laughs> the guy I was staying with nicked it. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure that uh, will be good karma for him. Yeah. Yeah, such is life, right? At least I still have the ink well. You know, things come and go. Can't take it with you. Right. That's true. So that's true. Welcome to Magic Without Fears, the Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater RC, and thank you so much for finding the time to uh be my guest for episode 93. Well, you bet good number for an episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you had said no, I would have had to talk to someone like Richard Kaczynski or something like that. And yeah, uh, really, what, I was what, with Richard last weekend. Yeah, I saw the photos, and maybe yeah. she's doing a good job uh, getting magic out there. Yeah, it's great to see. Do you remember uh, meeting me here in Vancouver or down at PantheaCon? 
Uh, you, you know, that's sort of unfair to ask me because I know uh, it's a hor it's a cruel question. You you should yes. remember me. But here's one here's one thing that's pretty cool. Um, when we did the Enochian work here with Troy Sprue in Vancouver, you signed my little book of Azrael, uh, Sir Sefer. Ratio oh. Hamelech. You signed my little miniature version of Ratio Hamelech in Hebrew. There you go. There's my yes. Ah, and I so, signed it, Rabbi Ben Clifford. And that meant a lot to me. That was a very nice uh, thing. Um, ben, Rabbi Ben Clifford, a beautiful uh, cognomen you have for yourself. And also, the Enochian operation was very successful for me at the time. I was in between homes and needed some money for rent uh, to get a new place. And the next day, it just showed up after that op uh, the Enochian Aether we did when uh, with text and stuff. It was the first time I ever included asked for money in magic or did magic money. First time in my life. Sometimes you just yeah. just need it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I I didn't. I was skeptical of whether something like that could work. But the idea that the ethers are close to our reality, closer than a lot of the higher planes, I think, has something to do with the effectiveness of Enochian magic. I, I, that's my guess. I don't know. Any well, yeah, on it, that? consciousness is a weird thing, and and sometimes it. Uh, 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 dimensions and things like that uh, go in uh, flow in waves and sometimes they align with our material life and sometimes they don't you know so looks like you uh, you had good timing there it... yeah yeah well and it was wonderful of course to get to experience the way you've been doing in Enochian magic and uh, uh, for a very long time of course you've been doing it uh, that way with the your own approach, I guess you could say, though, of course, your own approach, so many, so many of your innovations have become so popular that it's almost formed a, a new version of Enochian magic or a new tradition within the tradition, because, of course, that's all we really have with Enochian magic is fragments of a fragment. That's right. And everybody, uh, I, I tell people that, that are starting to study that, uh, uh, you know, don't... Uh, uh, don't feel bad or intimidated uh, that even from the beginning, you're on the cutting edge of the technology. So, you know, everybody is on the cutting edge of the technology. <laughs> Why do you think magic is having such a huge comeback these days? Well, there's, I'm sure there's lots of reasons for it, but uh, if you'll look in, you know, in the past, uh, the last, couple hundred years uh uh public or or uh, popular interest anyway in uh in magic seems to uh, come and go with uh 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 stresses and uncertainties in in uh, just the general objective reality situation <laughs> when wars and rumors of wars and and uh, uh economic hard times and uncertainties and things like that uh, uh lots of people turn to uh uh spiritual alternatives uh to what's going on and that doesn't necessarily mean that that's uh uh, uh truly serious interest but it's just sort of uh, uh, popular, 
popular interest seems to come and go with uh, stresses in uh, uh, people's objective realities. If you'll look back at uh, at uh, occult explosions and stuff, it's always uh, prelude to war and things like that. So. Hmm. Yeah, times of okay. That, that being said, okay, that being said, uh, I think there really is something to uh, uh, this idea of the change of an aeon uh, occurring. Um, uh, if you look back in history, even there, there's these axial periods uh, of. Uh, where all of a sudden some uh, things all over the world uh, are happening coincidentally all at the same time. Like, uh, oh, I mentioned like, like uh, 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 Pythagoras and Buddha and, and, <laughs> and uh, Confucius and, and uh, uh, all sorts of uh, great world religions were started by guys that that could have had the same shrink, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I do think uh, that we are experiencing the effects of aeon change. Now, I know we're we're experiencing the effects of climate change, and the climate. Uh, uh, crisis, if you will. But I think that uh, consciousness-wise, humanity is undergoing the, the effects of aeon change. And uh, that can be very dramatic and traumatic to, uh, to those who uh, are uh, resisting that new influx of uh, of uh, consciousness, and so uh, the transitional periods of a of aeons are uh, uh, usually characterized by great social stresses and uh, and things like that. And uh, during these periods, uh, uh, it seems like uh, idiots become more Id idiotic and. <laughs> And cool people get cooler, you know. <laughs> so so uh, it's kind of a, a polarity thing at the at the uh, transition periods of of aeons. Now I don't know if you'd blame it on the uh, procession of the equinoxes, you know, the age of Aquarius and things like that. Uh, magicians, modern magicians, uh, Thelemites in particular. Uh, look to the the magical formula of consciousness has changed from the point of view that the sun dies every day, uh, which is uh, the so-called Osirian formula, where where our uh, everything is dominated uh, during a a magical aeon by the formula of the our perceived uh, relationship with the sun. So while we're conscious. Uh, well, humanity was uh, more or less dominated by the the mistaken belief that the sun dies, it comes up and goes down every day. Yeah, 
uh, that uh, uh, so all of our gods are dying gods, you know that that and uh, all of our insecurities are are uh, 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 wrapped up in uh, us at least subconsciously identifying with that son that dies. So we're all obsessed with death and and how we can bargain our way, you know, out of death. Uh, uh, because deep down inside we're identifying with that sun and we want to come up in the morning okay we 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 want uh, that's our idea of eternal life is somehow making some kind of a deal so we can come up again you know resurrect and uh, but uh enough of the people the consciousness units in the in the world today pretty much know that the sun stays on all the time <laughs> we're we're pretty i i mean mothers all over the world you know tuck their babies in said you know don't be afraid of the dark because the sun is still on it's on all the time so now deepens enough of us uh a significant amount of us a number of us uh uh, have it firmly in place in our consciousness and and all of our consciousnesses are are uh, linked if in one way or another okay um enough of our consciousness is uh, is based in the 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 firm belief that the sun giver of life you know the the only visible god in our in our uh uh uh, environment here that gives the life without the sun we're we're dead uh it stays on all the time night's an illusion uh and, and we identify with the sun night's an illusion and so consequently we're also coming to the realization that death is also an illusion and in uh, our desire for for uh uh continuous consciousness our desire to resurrect really isn't a need to resurrect it's just for us to identify with the consciousness of the continuity of our existence the sun is a continuity of existence and so are we and so that that you don't have to to uh uh, associate that with anybody's holy book you don't have to associate it with anybody's cult or anybody's religion or anything else humanity has changed as a whole because we're now more or less thinking in terms of hey you know sun stays on all the time i stay on all the time this this and we might not accept it you know consciously but subconsciously we know if we're on right now we've always been on and will always be on until we realize we've been each other all along okay and so the the this uh call it subconscious new reality uh, brings about this uh, this change of consciousness. So in this transitional period, 
we're getting resistance, sometimes violent resistance, from those who aren't ready to actually wake up to that realization. There's, there's, they've got their heels dug in to the sun dies every day. You know, we die every day. Give me that old time religion. You know, if it was, if the King James version of the Bible was good enough for Moses, it's good enough for me. You know, uh, Jesus is what I always say. You're the only other person I've heard say that since I left seminary. Um, well, yeah. since, let's be clear. Since I graduated from seminary, oh yes, yeah. you know. All right. Drop out priests. No, I'm one of those priests that went full apostate after graduation. Well, I I think you're the the only one who graduated. <laughs> you know what, my bishop, uh, the right Reverend uh, Jim James T. Crookshank, Doctor James T. Crookshank, amazing Anglican priest, big part of he was a big part of the push to allow same sex unions in Canada, which was here started in my diocese of the, the New Westminster. Here, he told me. He told me before he died, if you're not a priest walking into your ordination, you're not walking one walking out. Yeah. Yeah. And that was I, one of the best things I ever heard. It alleviated so much pressure on me. And at the same time I was going through seminary, I was I was running Temple Tehuti, a Golden Dawn Temple here in Vancouver. So I, I was sort of doing these two sides of the same coin at once, right? And trying to reconcile myself to what is what does it mean to be a higher event, not just in the external world or a priest right. to, be, to the community, but to become it yourself, to become it for yourself internally. And I think that's the greatest mystery that I'm still in the midst of 20 years later. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, speaking of the Aeon of Horus, as you've been yeah. mentioning, if you don't mind me going back to that. No. I've I've always loved that's one of the thelemic ideas. I, I'm 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 what I call one of the few. I I hope not one of the few, but I I sort of maybe one of the, one of the few GD type people who's not like very allergic allergic to thelema. I'm not allergic to it at all, really. I think it's a beautiful thing, and and the idea that there's this magical religion that people can be a part of is a wonderful thing. Like, I would be fully in it if it if it just if I was just a slightly different person. I I can't explain it any better than that. But I so many of its ideas, like the Aeon, of course, have always had a great appeal to me, and many of the ideas have had a great appeal to me, of course. Um, I went after that operation with Troy Sprue and you to my first Gnostic Mass on the anniversary of the of the book, of your holy book's writing, um, and got to see my first Gnostic Mass with you, which was, you know, you, Chris Bennett, Troy Sprue. It was just such an amazing experience, and I was so glad to be a part of it. And I was so shocked to see, like, so many familiar Golden Dawn lines used in the ritual. I was like, oh, I do feel this is quite at home, you know. Sure. This is, this is great. Um, and when it comes to the idea of the Aeon of Horus, I love that idea, but I've also wrestled with that idea, especially as an Aquarius and being raised by an astrologer to prepare myself for the Aquarian age. How is the age of Horus different in your mind or experience to the Aquarian age? And what do you think are some of the things we as magicians can do to prepare ourselves for some of the challenges of, of the age of Horus, the Aeon of Horus? And well, the the... I think the Golden Dawn uh, uh, represented and the magical formula that the Golden Dawn represented was the epitome of the Aeon of Osiris. It was the it was the summit. It was the perfection. 
if you will, the magical perfection of the of the Aeon of Horus. And the uh, in a in a technical point of view, it it was the the uh, I don't want to say the perfection, but it it was the fulfillment of of the true essence of the LVX formula. And uh, so the uh, I have no patience with uh, uh, with people that that would uh, uh, presumptuously say, "Well, oh, Golden Dawn, well that was old Aeon stuff." Hey, new Aeons come out of old Aeon stuff, and there's crap old Aeon stuff, which is the 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 degeneration of it into into monstrous. Uh, 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 repressive religions and things, then there's the height of it, the summit of it, the crown of it, if you will. And I, I think the Golden Dawn uh, formula was represented and represents to this day that crown. And I'm I'm uh, uh, more than, than pleased and honored to... Uh, uh, be part of the you know several manifestations of the golden dawn uh, uh, work that's being done around the world. That being said, uh, when I said it, it's the crown of the LVX LVX uh, a formula light light and extension, we're now ready to accept just like we're uh, we're consciously or unconsciously ready to accept the fact that the sun stays on all the time. The, the Apophis uh, cycle of EAO uh, is a temporary situation, okay? It's a, it's a, it's a blink, okay, in, a, in, a, uh, in an eye that really stays open all the time. And uh, the Hey, that was pretty good. I'm going to use that line again, so I better write that one down. Uh, uh, we're now ready to accept the fact that even the sun has a life cycle. We're now ready to accept the fact that all of this, just like the Kabbalists are trying to, to tell us all this stuff is really, really one thing. And that one thing came out of this wild nothing. Okay, we're starting to be able to approach with our meat brains the idea of the nothing. The three aspects of nothing, a name, soft, ain't software kind of uh, thing that this came out of. Not only are we uh, prepared, able to attune ourselves to this, this wonderful light in extension, but we're now getting grown up enough to, to realize that part of the big scene is light withdrawn. And cycles, just like the, the the Hindus tried to tell us with 
well, we got Pralaya where everything just takes a rest for a while and then <laughs> then bursts out into Maya, you know. Um, and so the the Aeon of Horus, uh, uh, at, at least as Crowley was sometimes brilliantly and sometimes clumsily trying to, to trying to uh, uh, express, and it's up to us to kind of <laughs> do, you know, dissect those things. Oh, this is what he was talking about. Um, it's now up to us to include that greater, that greater reality uh, in our magic too. So the the uh, LVX formula uh, is a perfect working machine within an environment that still has duality, where there's still an up and a down and a right and a left. Okay, there's still. Uh, we're still in this. Yes. Yes. And uh, this is sort of the zero equals two idea, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so it's uh, uh, it's and it's almost not something you can study your way into. Okay. <laughs> well, you can in the field of mysticism, but yeah. I think that's about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. I became aware in seminary that mystical theology is considered an academic discipline in, in at UBC and other schools that yeah. have theological colleges. And I was like, oh, wow. And there's this whole language around it, which ever since I've been trying to introduce more into the mainstream occult world so that we have more uh, technical tools to describe very subtle states of experience. And yeah. I think we're only beginning to to look at uh where our understanding might go of these things, especially as we see science now um, experimenting with entheogens and plant medicine, and also just consciousness, like in the work that pseudoscientists like Dr. Dean Radin and Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove are, are engaged in, in parapsychology and other magical studies in the lab, right? They're written off and suppressed. Like if you put, if I, if you, if I interviewed Dr. Radin on my YouTube, my YouTube would never grow another subscriber, it would be shut down. Which is crazy how much they're trying to suppress scientists studying magic. Wow. Well, anyway, um, I guess I'm too low on the on the the radar to upset anybody, you know. So I think it's yeah, I think you're safe because you're not like a PhD in electrical engineering, because those are the people that sort of threaten the prevailing ways of thinking, right? Yes. They're like, I can explain this to you. And they're like, no, thanks. We don't need to hear it. Right. Whereas we're more like we can show you how to experience what we're talking about. Like we can, you know, take some of the mystical states, but don't necessarily understand how the photons work. Right, right. I'm more of an anecdotal guy. It's why it's why I love you. I think that's why so many people love you. I I, I very much appreciate your biographical approach to communicating magic to the broader culture, and I think it's one of the most valuable things any occultist has done in the 20th century to be honest so i think we all owe you a great debt for for being brave enough to to go that direction with it and it's you got to be so so vulnerable and so open to do that it's very hard um uh, it, just the little i've put my my stepped out in the world like you know there's no community occultists love to stomp on your toes if they can 
<laughs> Golden Dawn Chief just called me a me and my last podcast guest an oath oathbreakers not an hour before we started this podcast. You know? Oh and, no! And he's from an order that's based on Regardi's books, not from anything yeah. else. So it's like, and to boot, he did a podcast in England with me at his house while he was drunk and breaking his oath left, right, and center. I removed oh. it at his request, but. He's then calling my next guest recently. Uh, yeah, it's crazy that people still like to use this like heretic and like like we say those words as like with a tongue in tongue in cheek. Sure. But some people are still like legit hurling that stuff around from their glass houses. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's the stuff that keeps us on our toes and stomps on them occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> what's, your, what's your take on that whole that whole idea of of, of um like people are learning this stuff from books and the reason a lot of uh, uh you're the head of the oto internationally right and no, I'm, de I'm i'm a deputy u.s deputy grandmaster yeah well you can tell that to people that still think you're the international top dog whether you like it or not probably well, I'm, 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 I'm an officer i've always yeah. been an officer in the international i understand yeah. i don't uh, to be respectful i don't know oto polity enough to even comment so forgive my my uh, my uh bullens china shop there um but the uh yeah like the fact that people we, you you people people write these books even golden dawn people like pat zaleski and tony fuller and others are publishing golden dawn stuff and the idea is to give people correct information to counterbalance against all the people who are legit grifting shills just making stuff up to make money and they've got no serious interest in the training those people are out there and that's why we need to counter bad information with good it's the best way to fight misinformation and disinformation yeah. malinformation or if there's a lot of kinds of informations these days if you hadn't noticed apparently <laughs> I, I actually i think the uh, if you belong to an organization your your signs of recognition to, to let every to let another member of that same organization know that you belong to that organization so that the handshakes handshake keep your handshake secret you know the signs of recognition the secret stuff should be the stuff how you identify yourself to each other in an elevator you know oh hi i think you're okay you know that you can keep secret everything else hey it's out there Regarding yeah. was like that, okay. He was wonderful like that, okay. He's, uh, uh, I was so lucky to to uh, uh, to meet him pretty early on in my adventure uh, here, and his attitude was just so so open and and easygoing. And uh, sorry, who is this? Israel Regardi. Oh, Israel Regardi. Yeah, sorry, I, I must have missed that for some reason. Sorry, <laughs> but but anyway, the oh, that's yeah, there thought, was but... only only real secret stuff. If you think you can you can betray a magical secret, okay, uh, you, you got to ask yourself: Do you really know the secret to begin with? And <laughs> and. Uh, and why on earth would you uh, begrudge, you know, uh, uh, sharing it to someone who is capable of understanding it? Uh, organizations are fine 
I, I wouldn't tell you OTO uh, uh, handshakes. I wouldn't tell you OTO, uh, uh, you know, degree words or anything like that. But the real secrets are incommunicable. They're just incommunicable. Yeah. Either, you either have it or you don't have it. And if someone else, uh, someone else has it, doesn't matter what organization they belong to. Just, just don't, just don't start saying that you're that organization and charging dues for it. I guess is. Yeah. Right. Is the objection. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, to me, it's the idea that, that like, you know, criticize if someone buys modern magic or, or or the tree of life by regarding and learns the LBRP and then they start taking people to the park and they all do the LBRP together. And we live in a place where that's possible and not crazy. To me, that's something that should be celebrated, not like you damn oath breaker, you how dare yeah. you. And it's like this person's not even in an order. They just bought a copy of modern magic or something one of those books you know and now they're having now they're and they changed their life with it they got out of an abusive relationship they changed their career and are doing much better now and so they're doing lbrps at the park with a group of people in boulder colorado oh my god call the cops yeah you heretic oathbreaker, heterodox bastards oh what are you doing so like seeing this polemic and this vitriol still from golden dawn people towards that and in the same breath saying i'd love to share the lbrp with my friends and family who are asking about it but i can't because it would break my oath it's like you're full of shit i'm sorry pardon my french i'm sorry oh, I, I totally agree so i got a little worked up this is what happens when we do it on a tuesday with mars in the air yeah i i i really don't get much of that um uh, uh, and if i do sometimes it's you know it comes out of out of uh left field uh, on Facebook or something like that. And, um, uh, but I got to remember, I got to think back and remember what I was like uh, in the first two years I was into all of this. Okay. And I had read a couple books and uh, I had a pretty good idea of uh, 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 which, which author or which uh, uh, school of thought that seemed superior to me. And then all of a sudden, everything else seemed like, oh, you're an idiot, you're a moron. Oh, you, you know, you, you've got a path on the tree of life going from four to three, you moron, you know? And uh, not realizing that there's, you know, plenty of good ancient Kabbalists that did that too, you know, it's just, um, uh, so I remember w- w- when I was uh, uh, quick to be uh, a-, a magical snob, uh, especially when I thought I knew just a little bit more than the, the person I was uh, criticizing. So so I tried to uh, uh, at least be tolerant up to a point of where people are, are coming from. But if they're too much of a jerk, that's what Facebook is good for blocking yeah 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 Unfriending, you know yeah i don't i don't need this anymore you know yeah i basically have been off it all year i just was like no and then i'm less than a week back on it and already it's like <laughs> you know the holy inquisition coming after me for having open-minded conversations with cool new people <laughs> it's sort of my it's sort of my um uh, uh, my 
platform. If you, I do a show every day at 10, 10 a.m. in the morning, uh, uh, seven days a week, and I've done it for almost three years now. Yeah, I'm very aware. I've watched many, many of them. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, of course. Some of them are better than others, but uh, I try to pull myself together. Uh, on Tuesdays, I do it in the parking lot of the the, the stores that I uh, Tuesday shopping day. I take Constance uh, to the to the farmers market and things like that. So my shows are in the car. And today it's 108 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, you can tell I'm probably you can probably see how much I'm sweating here on a hot day in Vancouver, but. I'm pretty sure it's like 75 degrees here. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's at least uh, right out there right now in the backyard, just outside yeah. of the window there. Uh, it's, uh, I think, around 111. Um, my wife's out there. Times, yeah. In the garden. Wow, wow. Yeah. tough lady. Yeah. She is a tough lady. And that's why I can be such a softy. Oh wow! I don't know if I want care. to pry into this one, but I'll leave that. Let that. Oh, lie. don't cross her. Don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. As a matter and of fact, I dedicated this book to her. That's uh. That's yeah. That's let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, I called her. Well, Grady McMurtry, the head of the OTO, uh, at the time, back in the, like the nineteen seventy six or seven uh called her saint constance of the well our lady of perpetual motion and she's kept that that's part of her magical uh uh title and so uh and her uh she is uh in the ecclesia gnostica catholica which is the the church in the the uh ecclesiastical arm of the oto uh, which uh, uh, has a wandering bishop uh, apostolic link. Uh, she's a bishop too, and her bishop name is Tau Justice, and uh, which is perfect because I'm all into the the idea that the adepts of uh, Adepts of Thelema, disciples of Thelema are busy manifesting the formula of Horus, wild and crazy. That's why it's, the world is such a violent, bloodthirsty, uh, uh, revolutionary time. But the adepts of Thelema, their job is to prepare the way for the next day on. Okay. And, uh, uh, and that's the aeon of of Maha, okay, and uh, and that's like the the goddess Justice, okay. Yeah. That's uh, what comes. That's the only hope I've got for for whatever is left of humanity here, is that the the next aeon will be uh, uh, a readjustment coming back into balance, and uh, so Tao Justice or that. Uh, is a perfect thing. So this work is dedicated to St. Constance of the Well, Her Grace, Bishop Tau Justice of Ecclesia Gnostica Catholica. 
Yeah, so this is a your new re-released book based on some updated updated findings and information. What's the major what were the major updates or what were the bits of information from those updates that caught your ear or your eye and made you decide to uh expand and re-release this uh um let me I can't describe it in one word, but let's go with challenging for now. Well, it's a it's it's a novel. Okay, when I first uh uh we could literally say that I've been writing this for 25 years. Really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I was I was in the shower. I was taking a shower, and for some, you know, you know how showers are. They're like telephone booths to God. <laughs> and I don't know what got me thinking about this, um, except um, uh, I had been reading, uh, uh, you know, several sort of the, 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 the pop culture uh, books, uh, but they talked about the Essenes and the Therapeutae and the, the idea that uh, it was pretty clear that the historic person upon whom the the fable or the myth of Jesus came there was probably a historical character involved I don't really have too much of a doubt about that but chances are the the words coming out of his mouth at least as chronicled in the four gospels let's just leave Paul out of this completely Okay. Yeah. To me, Paul is persona non grata. Okay. In, uh, okay. Um, I, I got that from very early on in this book. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I knew this part the, of the interview would be so much fun. So yes, I'll let you go. But the but the gospels, the the four gospels, uh, you know, which were put together several hundred years after the after the historical events, at least tried to to be in sync with each other on the on major points okay and i started to think okay there's got to be just normal circumstances in a human being's life especially if if they're involved in politics of of the day and especially if they're involved in uh, uh, mystical training and spiritual activities like the Essenes were healers, and and uh, uh, they had this this uh, 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 mystical, almost Zen-like, uh, almost Buddhist-like uh, 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 spiritual point of view, and they were always at odds with the temple establishment, you know, which is just into. Uh, uh, they were sort of like organized religion, you know. Let's just slaughter a bunch of animals and and uh, um, uh, sort of be in spiritual crowd control mode. Well, yeah, and they they unified power and eradicated the hill shrines and all that stuff, right? Right, and, and right. Thrown out Acura, <laughs> get rid of that mother goddess. Yeah, and so. Uh, and and that sort of surfaces with the story of John the Baptist because they were cousins, you know. 
Uh, and then somewhere along the line, I read that, wait a sec, Joseph, the father of Jesus, wasn't poor, okay? He was a direct descendant of David, okay? And Mary was not just this poor little girl that he must have felt sorry for and married her. Uh, uh, Mary's family were the Benjamites, and the Benjamites owned the real estate of central Jerusalem, where the temple was built. And Mary's uh, Mary's uh, aunt was uh, uh, married to Zechariah, the high priest of all of Israel, okay? These people were well-connected, wealthy people. If he was a carpenter, it must have been a nickname because he was more like uh, a huge building contractor, okay, uh, that uh, he was wealthy and they'd been wealthy for, they were the equivalent of, no, not the equivalent of, they were Jewish royalty. The family was of Jewish royalty when Jesus was born or when uh, uh, John the Baptist was born his father Zechariah and his and uh, his mother who was also a Benjamite represented a joining of two bloodlines the bloodline of the Benjamites and the bloodline of David now whether or not there was any historic validity to that story at all it's it doesn't matter because it was legend and legend is truer in religion. Legend is truer than empirical history. The John the Baptist, when he was born, it was like the bloodline of King David and King Saul because the Benjamites came from King Saul, Israel's first king. Okay. And they, it, there was an estrangement it was a bringing together of that bloodline. And why was that important? Because everybody was looking for a figurehead to kick the Herodians off the throne of Israel and perhaps even kick the Romans out. Okay, they were looking for the perfect figurehead. They were looking for a prince that they could that they could rally an, an army around that they could rally a, a political claimant uh, to uh, the the puppet regime of, of the Herodians. So when John the Baptist was born, he was pegged for that role of the voice of the wilderness. Yes. But when Joseph married Mary, Mary's bloodline was a little bit more direct to Saul than uh, John the Baptist's mother. So when John the Baptist was born, they were already prepping him 
for this role. They were going to educate him in a certain way. They were going to, because just in a few short years, it's going to be 10 years or seven, you know, maybe 15 years, we're going to get this guy. We're going to put him on the throne. Uh, but when Jesus was born, his, his star blazed brighter. His bloodline ran purer just a tad than John the Baptist. And so they had to rearrange their 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 plot, okay? And that that's when John said, you still got an important part. You know, you'll, let's see, we've got this, uh, this uh, prophecy in Isaiah here that, okay, the, yes, a voice crying in the wilderness, okay? You'll prepare the way. And John just became a, a, like a Nazarite, which is not, doesn't mean he came from the town of Nazareth. It meant he was a uh, he ate locusts and stuff. He was uh, okay. Yeah. Any usually not positive when they have the ite on the end, like the Moabites or the Canaanites in the last. It's usually, it's usually a bad sign. Anyway, so that's that. And I was thinking about all of this. I'll get you back into my shower if it kills me here. Um, I was thinking about that in the in the shower, and for some reason, I started thinking about the sequence of events that really nobody thought Jesus was a celebrity. I mean, among the people, nobody thought he was a celebrity. Nobody thought he was a holy man. Nobody thought he was a miracle worker. Nobody thought he was perhaps a magician of some kind until he turned the water into wine at the marriage feast at Cana. Mm -hmm. And in that shower, I figured out exactly how he did that. And he doesn't have to be a supernatural spook of any kind. The circumstances of the event were so clear that I jumped out of the shower and ex and described it to Constance. And she said, yes, of course, that's how he, that's what happened. And then I told everybody at Monday night class, and they said, oh my God, yes. You know, and everybody just, Got a big kick out of that. So, well, before I forget it, I'm going to have to write it down. So, th that's what I tried to do. It, uh, the, the story itself of the wedding at Cana is pretty short, but yeah. but the buildup to it, okay, the backstory to make all of that make sense, to put it in historic and then of course, Lon's imagination, too, here, uh, it became too long for a short story and too short for a novel. And so I went to work saying I tackled all the other miracles and put those in perspective. And then all of a sudden, the, char the characters as outlined in the Gospels, all of a sudden, I had to insert them and they came to life. Now I'm, you know me. I don't write novels. Okay, this, and so the the idea of uh, of the 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 process of writing a novel, I had no idea 
that you can sort of invent a character and they come to life on their own. They they write it for you and, and you're just trying to type it as fast as as uh, the characters start to interact with each other. And so uh, uh, I got it to the point of where it was like novel at size. And uh, it just sort of sat there. And uh, a good friend of mine who was, uh, uh, I was in Japan and he was, uh, uh, he said, look, let me publish, let me self-publish it for you, you know. And so it was called Accidental Christ. And uh, uh, he he published it in hardbound. Uh, and it was a beautiful edition and it had Sumi-e, uh, uh, illustrations and things like that. But of course, nothing nothing ever came of it. And then fast forward 20 years, <laughs> literally fast forward 20 years. And it's been sitting there going nowhere. And I thought, okay, I'm really going to invent a backstory. To this. And, you know, I left everybody hanging at Gethsemane. And actually, I, let, I got it. I left everybody hanging at Golgotha. <laughs> so, and everybody said, you can't end it this way. You just can't end it this way. And so I ended it better. Okay. Longer. Not only that, but I added new characters, including Pontius Pilate's wife, which was was a whole aspect of the of the of his support system that I had completely ignored in the first draft. So it's considerably expanded from that that first uh, uh, kind of self-published uh, edition, and of course the people that. Uh, uh, Llewellyn were kind enough to to say, "Yeah, we'll we'll do it," you know. So, yeah, that's I'm, that. I'm so glad they did. I'm so glad they did. Um, I spent all day yesterday with it and enjoying it, and uh, into the late night and uh, wrestling with some of the ideas. Honestly, I was thinking it would be much less challenging than it was for me, um, because I actually had my like I actually converted to Christianity and had my conversion experience while in the 90s while reading i was in the portal grade in the golden dawn and i was reading so doing all that you know portal work and i was reading nico kazansakis is the last temptation and that's what converted me and so you know well if that's what converted you to catholicism you're no, my type of, type of catholic yeah yeah, but then and and then I, but then when I was reading this, I was like, this I was surprised by how much it was challenging me and some of the ideas and interactions like caused like a visceral, um, I don't want to say upset, but like you know I was like, hmm, you know, and I was like, okay, there's a bit more that I have. I, I was surprised at how much I will continue probably wrestling with some of the characterizations and ideas and that and so that it really defied my expectations in that regard so well done it is not just Thank another you. alternate history of christ and there's so there's some good ones out there like zealot is an interesting one um that we had to read in seminary for 
and it you know it's the high it's a novelization as if jesus were one of the zealots and that sort of thing and your You're idea right. like, from the get-go with the egyptian priest when he's 11 years old in egypt and the egyptian priest in you know stuttering i don't want to spoil the book because people really should check it out it's 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 wild and great and it's written by you so you, you know the, when i ask people for question listener questions for you from from my fans most of them just send me messages of praise about you <laughs> they're, just like, they're just praising your sense of humor for him like you know there's no question marks here <laughs> it was <laughs> i ended up spending hours just getting people's praise about you and not oh. as well maybe when one question maybe two i have them written down here but um okay. yeah so this is a beautiful uh and challenging book like the priest is telling him this is the only spoiler i'll give but it's in the beginning so you won't it doesn't spoil much that he's the chosen one no shock that you know that doesn't spoil much jesus you're the chosen one you're meant to be the king of the Jews and all of this. And his reaction is sort of, you know, he doesn't really have a problem with the Jews. Well, wait, how about, can I read it? Sure. Can I read what he says? Sure. Is the. So Jesus is in shock. He says, this is absurd. Young Jesus considered the Israelites to be a culture of superstitious tribesmen who slavishly worshipped a violent and fickle desert demon who demanded to be fed an endless flood of animal blood. <laughs> Get this now at your local bookstore. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, like, it's wild. It's wild. Why? My question is. If he, the priest and his father, Joseph, were training him and having him educated amongst the therapeutae in Egypt to be the king of the Jews, wouldn't they have been a bit more careful about giving him that kind of impression about the very people he's called to lead? Well, remember, he's 11 years old. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and he's, and he's, uh, he's, uh, actually, uh, a, a pretty, bright student in a pretty uh, uh, elegant or elegant lifestyle okay because he's it's it's like a very very snooty uh, boarding school and he has been uh, uh, he likes Egypt okay he he likes his uh, uh, his life there and he has very little memory because even as the gospels say, they got him out of town. The 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 Persian uh, uh, magi just totally blew his cover by by going to Herod and say, "Hey, you hey, you know, we're new in town, but you know that we we heard that the next king had got born. You know what town is he in? You know, and." Uh, so, so Herod, uh, uh, you know, the, he was in danger. He really was. So they went to Egypt, and that's where they leave it. Okay, the next time we see uh, Jesus in the Bible, he's he's on the temple steps arguing Kabbalah with uh, with the, uh, okay, like he's been educated somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and where I came from. Uh, uh, in Sunday school, it was it was like, uh, oh, God just uh, uh, poured all of this, <laughs> this this wisdom where he could argue with with uh, these anal retentive uh, uh, cabalistic uh, scholars. Uh, 
no he had to, he had to be educated enough to do that so the the uh the the idea that he was quite satisfied with uh uh the his schooling and where he was and he really didn't want to go back to that land of scorpions um uh, and uh and do anything as a matter of fact this was the first he heard of this whole this whole plot, and yeah. if imagine if you were an eleven year old kid, and well, that's somebody... what I've been trying to do is to imagine yeah. put myself in Jesus's shoes, you know, imitatio yeah. Christi, of course. Um, but as an eleven year old in in this uh, cosmopolitan Alexandria of the first century, which I mean, if only we could check check that out for a day. Today. Yeah, we could go back for a day and just check it out, and this oh my god, and steal as many manuscripts as we could. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it must have been so cool, it and such a, so cool. such a culture shock to go back to Judea. You know, uh, that's the thing I've been thinking a lot. It's a wonderful thing to to contemplate the the idea that of of going from that sort of aristocratic um, and elite educational environment to one where education and and elite um, knowledge is contained within the the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? And right. of course, well, we now know, of course, that the women in the ancient Judea had a magical tradition that they practiced from recent archaeological right. studies by Duke University. By recent, yep. I mean twenty years ago. So there was actually quite a balance, pa power balance, with men as the spiritual leaders of the community in the community, and then the women, the spiritual leaders in the household. Which, if anyone's ever been married as you and I have been, um, we know that's the probably the smart move. I should have learned it sooner. I might still be married. Yeah, I've been married since since Jesus was alive. Yes. Yes. So. Yes. That's what I was saying. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, he, you know, to, to go from uh, those environments, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting premise for, for, for the narrative. And and you based it on the rediscovery of some of these older texts. Yeah. The Clopasian manuscripts, which even the Vatican found a copy of. Right. Yes. Got to remember, it's a it's a novel. Yes, I know. Well, I love. Yes, I, I love the how uh, how tricky you are with some of that uh, stuff. Like, there's a few times I Google things, and I was like, "Yeah, that's not a thing." Okay, but <laughs> you 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 presented it so well. I'm like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" Just uh, just a treat, just a treat. So, folks, um, I hope you've heard en enough to go get a copy of this because it's it's a wonderful text and uh. And uh, and uh, yeah, just uh, only only you could have written this book. So, so thanks for thanks for that one. You've written so many. I mean, this is. Can we talk about this one just briefly? Because again, everyone always calls this a masterpiece, but it really is. I mean, just just the the introduction to it alone is is so so well done. Um, I think when I first met you, you said this was your can you consider this your favorite book or your best book i'm not sure which yeah, word it's, probably, it's probably uh yeah i i don't think i've ever been smarter i've gotten i've gotten a lot dumber since i wrote that yeah I was... well yeah I did, you know i did i didn't i um that other book that you've got uh just one book over over from it the, the book of thoth yeah um no um now that's crowley's that's really the the most authoritative book on the the thoth tarot but it's kind of a difficult read 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's an understatement. And uh, I was, how much time we got? I don't know if as I much as you want. Usually these podcasts go two, three hours, but as long as you have I, three hours, I wouldn't expect you to go for three hours. So, you know, oh, whatever no. time you have. Yeah, please do. Please don't. I'm 75. No, years I old. wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, plus, it's such a hot day up, up here. There's, so, you know, this is hot and there's biological needs, you know. Um, if you have another half hour, that's that would be an honor. The the I I was at the I, I had done the magic of Alistair Crowley. Well, let's see where. Yeah, it was called the magic of Thelema at the time. Yeah, that's but your did, new one. Yeah. 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 I look to the magic of Alistair Crowley. And yeah, I, um, I need to check out that one and Marco's one. There's the two new Crowley books out on the. The I had uh, done the first uh, the first edition of that uh, uh, way, way back when I don't don't know when the let's see. Uh, the first one was. Uh, where's the dates on this? Anyway, I can't really. Oh, no, 1993. So 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I wrote it to sort of make that uh, 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 Crowley's Magic and Theory and Practice understandable. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to, to make a handbook of the rituals of Aleister Crowley. And uh, uh, so it was one of my first and earliest uh, earliest books, and it was uh, 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 well received. Okay, let's just say it was very well received. And uh, the the occult buyer, the the head of the department of uh, acquisitions of New Leaf Distributing Company, which was the, the largest North American distributor of um, uh, esoteric material, uh, New Leaf, uh, uh, met with me at the, at the Book Expo America in Chicago. I, yeah, it's in Chicago. And uh, she said, I want to talk with you at your I want to meet with you at your publishers uh, at six o'clock. That's that's when the this convention ended, and uh, I said okay. And uh, so she had made an appointment with uh, uh, Donald Weiser uh, of Weiser uh, Samuel Weiser Books. It was called in those days, and Betty Betty Lundstedt, his uh, his wife and partner. And they had already had a little table set up and everything else. And I and I just thought we were going to meet to see where we're going for drinks, you know, after I had no idea I was being set up for this. And she had uh, Crowley's Magic and Theory and Practice. And she had my book, The Magic of uh, uh, Thelema at the time. That's the, the title. And she started to talk and she said, I'm no dummy. I could still hear her saying this. I'm no dummy, but I couldn't make heads or tails. For years, I've tried to make heads or tails of magic and theory and practice. Okay. 
And then she threw down the, the magic of Aleister Crowley and said, I understood this. I read this in three bowel movements. <laughs> and it all makes sense to Crowley me. Crowley would have loved that description, yeah. by the way, wouldn't he? And said, uh, he did uh, the, the impossible. Okay, and I feel weird this but this uh, more or less was her her uh her take and then she got out the book of thoth crowley's book of thoth that wiser published she says and i don't understand this one either okay lon's got to write the book that explains this one to me because this one is the most important book on tarot ever written and no one can understand it <laughs> okay. i i admit i it was in 93 i got my first copy of magic and theory and practice one of those beautiful old hardcovers and and i really loved it i though there was parts that were challenging for me because i was 13 at the time and i wished right. i had known about your book in those days it was hard to find books if they weren't in the local bookstore right absolutely well and i did have by that but i yeah i couldn't make heads nor tails of that when i was you know in grade eight and nine um unfortunately and i was just i Lots had i had not said a word okay i just sat there you know uh alternating between uh my head swelling and sheer terror and uh, then donald looked at betty his partner and then looked at me and said Okay, Lon, do it. Now, I didn't feel prepared in any way to do a book like that. Okay. I never fantasized doing that. Okay. I hate work. I'm lazy. It's it, not only that, but I didn't think I had the brains or the concentration or the or the tenacity. That was a huge, huge project for me. And it took almost three years to write it. But I learned early on, it's hard enough to get published, okay? Getting published is not easy. And when something like that falls in your lap, it's like the gods are putting it there, you know? <laughs> You'd, yeah. Or it, it's it's like when you're you're given the opportunity to take the next initiation in whatever order you're in. Okay, you don't say, "Oh, maybe I'll put that off." No, when someone says, "This initiation will be available to you on this on this uh, such and such a date," you take the initiation. Okay. Well, I took the initiation and that was, uh, it turned out to be the a pain in the ass to write. I was up many nights with a magnifying glass looking at those Thoth tarot cards to, uh, uh, to get every little, uh, uh, you know, and not all the, the, the cards are that well produced um but anyway it turned out in my opinion to be the best book i've i've ever written and um 
Denny on Foolish Fish was just praising it the other week, and 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 you know, no surprise there. It deserves all the praise it can get, and it it's 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 extraterritorial in its appeal to people. You don't have to be into Crowley or the Thoth Tarot at all to love that book that you've written. So, on behalf of the whole world, once again, thank you very much, good sir. Oh, you're welcome. Sharing, uh, uh, taking the time and attention it takes to put a masterpiece. I'm working on a serious occult book right now, like 30, 50,000 words in on a, some new Enochian sort of book, but aimed at Christians. And it's, yeah, yeah it's been beating the shit on me for a year now. And it's, it, I wrestle with it. It's very hard to write something of at the highest quality you think you can possibly produce. Much easier to bang out something small and short and fun. And I'm doing that too. But like yeah. when you really go for it, you know, the next day you either uh, are proud of your, the words you're reading on the screen or you're, you know, horrified by them and wondering what you were drinking the night before. Um, yeah, I know. It's funny. I, um, uh, I write in a, in a funny way, you know, I'll, I'll write, uh, 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 you know, a good day is is four pages okay that's a good day i'm really slow and every day when i sit down to the project i read the book from the beginning to where i was <laughs> really okay so when i'm a about a year into a project, it takes me almost four hours to get to where I'm starting to write the new stuff. Okay. <laughs> but when I start from the beginning, there's there's a there's a rhythm, there's a pacing, and there's the, the opportunity to use a better word. There's an opportunity to look to uh, uh, to have it fall off the tongue, and to to take the the picture images going through your mind smoothly one one into another, and so I don't just read it from the beginning; I rewrite it from the beginning. So that by the time that I do get to the new stuff, and by the time I do get to the end, uh, I've had the opportunity to, uh, uh, I, I, I guess it's sort of the way uh, uh, people that write cinematically uh, need to do, because they, they, they sort of know uh, what, what, the, what the end is going to be. Uh, of the film and uh, they have to constantly uh, improve how to get to that point so yeah yeah well amazing stuff and I and I used to have many more of your books but I did lose a library a while back so I'm, I'm in the this is a it's all new I've had to been rebuying a whole library I had like you know 5,000 books oh. and they were all stolen from a home invasion. Oh, how did so that? Oh, I, yeah, it doesn't. Let's not get into it. <laughs> I've okay. had plenty of rants on this podcast where I've informed people of that over the years, but it, you know, it's in the past now, and you got to move on. You just got it. It's better, sure. you know. So, but also a lot of books I have to. It's yeah, you know. I mean, 
uh, could have been the the Martian grade energy I was going through, or or it could have just been the fact that I uh, needed to learn a few lessons about who to trust and who not to trust. Or it's, yeah, yeah. I see, I see you got the complete Enochian dictionary back there too. Yes, yes. Well, I but the I I, I I Enochian was one of the first things me and my best friend started doing in in ninety three ninety four. Of course, the Schuler books were out. It was all the rage Enochian physics. It's gonna change the universe. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, we were we were young enough kids to uh, not know much about physics, and and you know bring it to our physics professors and be able to teachers in high school and be like, "You're wrong. See proof." <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been I've had an I've had the Laycock book for years. Um, yeah, and it's I got been it. very helpful. Very yeah, helpful. I I'm really excited about the new edition, even though I believe all it has is a new sort of forward or intro to it. Yeah, it's 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 the same, but it's a great text. And I see you've got uh, the tarot cards there, my tarot cards. I love your tarot cards. I love your tarot cards so much. Not only because they're drawn by you and they're they're a self-made deck. You know, Golden Dawn's very big into coloring our own cards, drawing our own cards. So that's a part of the tradition that you've then taken into forward into Thelema, uh, like Crowley did himself. And uh it's so inspiring to me to to suggest to people to make their own. I, I think people like you are a part of why so many people today feel that freedom to interpret the the arcana in, uh, for themselves. And of course, the fact that you included so many different sigils um, on them in correspondences is is incredibly useful. Incredibly useful. I don't use the Crowley deck thought deck anymore. Because I'm an Aquarius and I was very attached to Tzadi being where Tzadi is meant to be. And so I do, you know, when I, like I said, I'm not allergic to Thelema, but there's things in it that just don't work with my microcosm. They, yeah. You know, Tzadi no, is Aquarius and it, you can't switch it with hay for me. And so, hey, man. I'm gonna stick with no the bar that no I am. Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just put it put it back there because but I do uh, love it. And it was out of print for ages. The only copies I could find were like four hundred dollars. My buddy had one in town, and like you know, he was gonna give it yeah. to me, and then I told him how much it was selling for, and he was like, "Oh, oh, actually, I'll keep it." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, you should." Well, I like the the Enochian, uh, the Enochian stuff on uh, on the cards. Uh, and Especially it's, since it's plus it's the Golden Dawn Enochian, which is cool yeah. because yeah. that that makes it kind of a golden dawny deck in a way it's sure. more so than a nokian purist um and that's really cool for golden dawn people yeah yeah and uh it's really helpful because uh it's sort of my uh, magical temple in a box and because i always take a deck of tarot cards when they, when i travel uh yeah i, could, I you love know, I could... the magician you drew so oh. much i love it so much I also love the Regardi Wang magician a lot. Those those might be my two favorite magicians. Actually, I like the the Nick Farrell magician, even though people say it looks like Nick himself. He he says the artist did whatever the artist wanted, but I don't care oh, if it looks I, like Nick or I not. Got, I, think I, it's got, a great I got me in this deck too. I, oh, who are you? Oh, I'm the Hierophant, and uh, who else am I? I'm the hanged. I'm the hanged man. You're the hanged man too. Yeah, my wife is the Empress. Of course. And, yeah. uh, oh, I'm the I'm also the emperor, I think. Yeah. yeah I, I mean honest. Honest, I tried to put my my face on all of them. I just 
I couldn't figure out how to do it, you know. But, uh, <laughs> well, because they do all represent you anyway. So yeah, there's that's yeah, constant. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, what a. And uh, and now a word from our sponsors. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. There she is. There also, as I am, and our friend uh, Steve Abbott. Uh, let's see if I found anybody. Oh, I'm in the chariot too. I forgot. Yeah. All right. yeah. Cool. Because they're funky, you know. They're. Uh, I did the line drawings, and then I gave Constance uh, a sh a sheet that uh, uh, indicated what color scales that she could use on each individual card and uh, turned her loose uh, on it. So she's responsible for the, the coloring, maybe not the choice of colors, but the actually uh, 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 applying them. And she, uh, I gave her... Uh, a set of uh, just regular index cards that I had printed up with the line drawings on it, including the Enochian and everything. And uh, then uh, just a week before uh, I drove from Newport Beach, California to Miami to pitch the deck to U.S. Games, um, she colored it. She did like five a day, you wow. know. Yeah. So. Yes, you you uh you lucked out with your partner meeting in high school and happily ever after ever since. So that's a that's a wonderful thing. Um, and yeah. the fact that you teamed up on the tarot deck it makes it even cooler, right? I go, I went to Waldorf school my whole life, so the idea of drawing your own tarot deck like we don't have textbooks. You have to the students create we create our own textbooks from the class lectures in Waldorf, and so that, right. that the fact that you were shading and highlighting and beautifying every single bit of information we put in it just uh, makes me so appreciative of the the, uh, the personal involvement in 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 art, right? This idea it's not just for professionals or experts or people who are trained. Um, I sort of feel the same way about music. You know, it got overly professionalized, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, I can't do music because I'm not a pro." And and as as you know, being a pro, that that's that's a very sad state of affairs for music <laughs> oh yeah do you well, have any BOTA is great yeah i took the bota uh uh courses uh tarot fundamentals and then i forget what the second one's called and then uh kabbalah uh but I colored a, a BOTA deck, which uh, I tell you, it changes your consciousness. I mean, you're, I colored the fool card uh, and you meditate for a week uh, uh, on it. 
And I tell you, my dreams just cracked open. Okay, it wow. was full technicolor uh, mystical experience. And I go, okay, I I get it. I get it. I'm uh, I'm squirting WD forty into my soul. <laughs> I'm I'm firing on all on different cylinders. This is wonderful. Yeah, that's definitely why in the Golden Dawn it's so important for the students to draw the diagrams out themselves and color them in and and all of that. It's something I think that has been lost quite a bit with the accessibility of published literature. So I I hope that uh, people uh, hear this sort of these sort of podcasts and and uh, feel a bit encouraged to, you know, be a, if you're not a drawer, try, you know, it's that you can't really fail. Just just do the best you can. And I've seen great decks made with stick characters. Okay, just stick characters with uh, geometric uh, little uh, uh, simple cups and simple, simple things. Uh, so yeah, just do it. And uh, at Monday Night Magic class, we've all, we've all made our own tarot cards, and uh, so some of them can be pretty funky. I I got a bin of them back there. Well, when you tell people they can go and be creative with something, sometimes you're a little yeah, you can be it can be surprising how creative they get. You're like, whoa, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's, yep. that's part of the part of the beauty of it for sure. Um, so can I ask you? Um, uh, you have a bit more time. Uh, yeah. Let's go to let's go to the bottom of the hour. Okay, we got ten more minutes. So I always this 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 might seem like a controversial thing, but honestly, I think it's a question that has been asked and answered, and might not even need an answer from you, honestly. But um, I always thought I understood what you meant by the phrase, the very common phrase now. Um, it's all in your head. You just don't know how big your head is. I always took that to mean, um, I thought I always interpreted that for myself as the idea of the Neoplatonic mind, the all is mind, the noose, the light, you know, and so if everything is mind, then of course, it's all in your head, because everything that exists is in your head. And maybe head or noose is all that is how. So yeah, I always thought that was how I had to interpret it. So when you say if you so if someone says spirits aren't real or are real it's sort of a moot point at that stage however right. however then this beautiful book which you wrote a forward for came out and there was also a forward by proposing a counterpoint by Stephen Skinner now based on my long-standing interpretation of what you meant there's no contradiction in the things you or he would be arguing for however it does seem there is some sort of con. There is there a contradiction in your view versus his? In your opinion, have you read his forward there? Or do you have any? Oh yeah. Like, have you answered? Has this question? I said to some of my friends, I said, I think the answer has been asked and answered, and there's nothing more to say on it based on what's said in here. But I will ask you anyway. Oh well, that's that's uh, uh, in my understanding of my own words. Yes. There is no contradiction between Stephen's uh, uh, point of view and, and and mine. As a matter of fact, I think they they are self-defining and self-referential. Um, I just get a kick out of the way he starts his and the way I start 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 mine. It's a uh, yeah. not only is this book absolutely 
freaking amazing, everybody, and everyone should get it. But the forwards, I think, are as good, I can't say better, but as good, if not better, than the rest of the book. And the rest of the book is amazing. This whole thing is amazing. I hope you're getting some royalties from it because everyone should get this absolutely. Oh, yeah, it, it's it, it's wonderful. So uh, your interpretation no, is, of those two forwards is no, your... um, uh, look, look at it kind of cabalistically, okay? I uh, like to do that. There, there is, uh, uh, it appears that you and me are two, two different enter entities talking, talking back and forth here, okay? And at the moment, uh, with our powers of understanding and, and uh, uh, perception, it is that way. Okay, there's a dual thing uh, going on, but I'm actually processing absolutely everything about you in me. And at the moment, you are part of my head. Okay, it's you have exposed no... all of a sudden. Yeah, and. Um, uh, you know, uh, capitalists break try to break everything else. Uh, you know, in uh, the the microcosm and the macrocosm, which only goes up to three. Uh, uh, as uh, uh, broken up into four parts. Okay, we've got our physical bodies here, our meat bodies. And that would, uh, and then we've got our thoughts and our imagination. And then beyond that, we've got we've got this. Uh, you might call it uh, an intuitive, an intuitive sense, like when a mother wakes up in the middle of the night and and knows her child is in danger. Okay, it's not even considered psychic phenomena okay and th then there is the 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 absolute essence of any concept and the essence of being itself and that's at the top so that's the yod hey vav hey okay the, the hey final is this and the vav is this and, and the intuition is uh is that and that's uh so that's called uh uh, nepish, okay, ruach, and this soul intuition thing is called uh, neshama, and then the singularity ness is uh, atzaleth or the archetypal. Yeah, there's a yechida and he out there, but they're all sort of part of the greater. Yeah, oh yeah, you split it up there, yeah. And uh, I like you know, because uh, well, anyway, yeah, you get you get your favorite pet names, you know. Uh, I sort of lump it up into high, you know, uh, life force. Yeah. Um, uh, now, you, our intellects are talking back and forth using our meat tongues, okay, which is our. Yeah, an animal soul. But our intuition thing, okay, you and I are sitting inside 
each other's neshama. Just like that mother that wakes up in the middle of the night that her child is in danger. It's not because the child uh, uh, is sending any kind of message across a telegraph, you know, wireless message. No, that mom would have got that message, that impression, if the child had been across uh, on the other side of the world. She would have got it instantly. And if the child would have been on the moon, she would have got that instantly. And if that child would have been on Alpha Centauri five light years from now and was in trouble, the mother would have got that right now. And it's not because a message was sent. It's because the child can never, ever escape the mother's neshema. We can't escape each other's neshema. We're bobbing around in a great Neshima unity field, like we're chunks of pineapple in a Neshima jello salad. Okay. The greater countenance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that Neshima is the key to it's all in your head. You just have no idea how big your head is okay and everything that stephen is saying no they have objective reality and things like that he's absolutely right but it's all taking place in the jello salad okay that's how i sort of always interpreted that so thank you for clarifying because actually after i read those two forwards i was like oh maybe maybe lon if he was doing solomonic magic and ask the spirit to confirm it would do what it said, and and a bell was heard or some phenomena appeared. He would go, "Dear Lord, how could that happen? I thought it's all my head, right? You know, no, 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 no. It's okay. already there. That's where I. That's where I expect it to happen. <laughs> well, I love all your podcasts. You did your a podcast with Praxis Behind the Obscure, my buddy Ryan in in Korea, and uh, he's a very cool dude. I hope you enjoyed your time with him. And I'm just so proud, though, that I got to be the one to clarify this much debated point. I mean, if you were surreptitiously everywhere all at once on Facebook, you'd see how much this is still debated with fisticuffs by people most of the time who are just starting magic, but sometimes yeah. have been in it for 30 years like me or 50 60 I don't I don't want to assume how long you've been doing magic but it's a long time so well, yeah. it was it was a brilliant uh, uh idea and a fun suggestion uh for us both to, to write a forward and introduction to uh uh to to that book and uh you know I've never read one word from Stephen Skinner that, that I didn't think was absolutely brilliant and and i have no no fundamental uh uh from my point of view uh d disagreement i think he's one of the greatest magical minds in the living in the world today so he's actually he's waiting to get an email back from me about when to be on the podcast so he'll be on it soon he'll, he'll oh, be in good well. company with you yeah and yeah. i've got i'm uh really got interviewing dr ian edwards next who's of course written about crowley's book of the law um he did the being and non-being analysis of the book of the law as well as then an austin osmond spare and then a kenneth now a kenneth grant one so he'll be on he'll be on next but you're getting released after so that you can be episode 93 
Oh, so he, I'm interviewing good. him next, but he'll be released first. I hope you don't mind. This will come out end of the month or first week of September. I don't mind it. That way you I, can. Mind I was so I've been so I've been trying to get to episode 93 for the last three years as fast as I could so we could talk. Wow. Because obviously I couldn't talk to you unless it was episode 93. That would just be <laughs> sheer madness. Well, 11's nice too. 11. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't legit enough then, even though I just hung out with you at PantheaCon. Um, we were hanging out with the Tracy Regula because I was working at Isis Oasis there for 14 months up until COVID teaching there. And of course, you know, to Tracy, right? From yeah. going, going way back. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely, lovely lady. And, you know, Cunningham's old BFF and, and biographer. Did you ever meet Scott Cunningham? No, I didn't. No, oh. He's a San Diego uh, guy and, and I never... Uh... Yeah, me Never had the opportunity to 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 meet him. Too bad, but you met Regardi. Can I ask you, as a as a Golden Dawn person, I'm very curious. Like, can you? What was he like? Just not like intellectually or spiritually. Like mannerisms. What was he just like? What was his vibe or behavior? Just I'm well. I'll never get to meet him, so I'm sort of curious. Uh he was so charming and so cool. And so funny that within the first one minute that I was in his presence, I thought I wanted to be just like him when I grew up. Okay. He was he was the most charming, relaxed, uh, uh, insightful, uh, brilliant. Uh, and I know those are just, you know, uh, it's hyperbole, but uh, uh, almost immediately, I don't know what came up. Oh, he was wearing a, a medallion. Uh, uh, Constance and I went to his house with uh, the head of the OTO uh, at the time, Grady McMurtry. In, his house was in Studio City. And we got there around 10 o'clock in the morning, and he instantly um, uh, wanted to uh, uh, pour us champagne cocktails. At 10 in the morning, champagne cocktails. And it wasn't, you know, expensive champagne or anything, but he sort of, you know, made a thing about the sugar cube and the bitters and the, oh, and the wow. thing. And... Um, uh, we were sitting there sipping champagne cocktails at 10 in the morning. And um, uh, somehow it, the subject came up about uh, Freemasonry. And uh, uh, I mentioned that I wasn't a Freemason at the time, but I, I had uh, been a D-Malay as a kid. And I said, hey, you know, well, I'm a D-Malay. And he says, I am too. Okay. And it must have been in the first few years that there was a Demolay, because I think Demolay didn't even start till like 1911 or something like that. And so, you know, I had a champagne cocktail. So I stood up. I said, Do you remember the word? <laughs> and he says, I think so. And he stood up. And there's a there's a way that you shake hands and do stuff with your hands before you whisper the word. 
and he remembered the word. It was very cool. And so we got a big kick out of that. Um, but uh, uh, later that morning, he took us out to brunch. And uh, Grady McMurtry, uh, uh, Regardi was very supportive of uh, uh, Grady's uh, resurrection, if you will, of the OTO. And a great deal of uh, the uh, inquiries that Regardi would get concerning the OTO uh, he was uh, forwarding to, uh, to, uh, to Grady, said, this is the OTO, this is who you need to talk to. And uh, the uh, inquiries that he would get concerning the AA, he would, uh, he would uh, uh, suggest that they contact Phyllis Seckler. And so th those are both my people too, you know. And uh, was, was Regardi with Pat back then? Or was not, that? Was he was Regardi with Pat at that time? Did you get to hang out with her? He was not with Pat. He was with um, uh, Alice. He was with Alice. I think this was uh, this may have been after uh, uh, So we're talking nineteen seventy six or seven right uh, but anyway uh at brunch grady uh uh you know thanked him for all of his uh, his support and and uh uh and encouragement uh uh regarding and uh, uh gerald york were this supporting uh they were the eyes of horace okay um uh, and Grady offered him uh, to recognize him as a ninth degree OTO because uh, uh, Crowley had uh, addressed lots of correspondence to Grady or to uh, Regardi in the old days, uh, uh, addressing him as T-I-T-I-T-I, uh, which is how thrice illuminated, thrice illustrious, thrice uh, intelligent. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, Crowley considered him a, a ninth degree and Grady offered to recognize him as such. And and Regardi said, well, thank you. You know, I'm going to decline because I think I'm more uh, of uh, value to you, uh, uh, you know, not, not being involved at that level. And he said, besides, I'm a golden dawn man. And I'll I'll never forget that it was it was I'm a golden dawn man and he had this uh, when you hear a recording of Regardi's voice uh, it sounds like he's got just a tad of a speech uh, uh, in, not quite an impediment it's but a little list, right a little little <laughs> listy uh, uh, just a tad of Elmer Fudd. All the a lot of female occultists I know refer to it as a lisp, and they think it's the sexiest thing ever. Well, it added to his charm, I tell you, but in person you didn't hear it. Oh okay? wow! Really? But, but when you hear the recording of it, uh. then you hear it, and you go, "Yeah, that's what he sounded." But I, I didn't hear that. You know that that part of it. 
Yeah, and it's fun to listen to his Enochian uh 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 wasaji <laughs> or you yeah. know flop, flop over like a wag doll, you know. And you did you didn't hear it because his charm was just so radiant that you just there is no flaw in this <laughs> in this man. And he's really, really one of the most charming magician I've ever met. Yeah. Beautiful. That's such an amazing thing to get to hear. I'm so glad I, I actually asked you that weird sounding question and that you understood what I meant to share all that. Cause that's just history that I, I, I for me, the 20th century and like the last 110 years of occult history and magical history is one of my favorite things. It's a big love. I was doing my, my PhD dissertation on Evelyn Underhill up until uh, I got sick and then my supervisor died. Um, so I, I just love the history and hearing about Grady McMurtry and, and Rigardi and you all being in California and, and having cocktails for breakfast and, and creating what we get to enjoy today as this occult revolution that is truly like created the first golden age for magic since prehistoric times, maybe, or something. The times where we didn't have good history, that's for sure. So thank you for that. And and I have a question, like given the the connect, you've got to go, so I'll let you go. This is the last one if that needs to be. But given how your experience with Rigardi and McMurtry and all that, would you say it's fair to describe the Golden Dawn tradition as a broken tradition? You know, it depends on who is working it at the moment, okay? Uh, no, I don't uh, see the tradition as, as being broken. Uh, uh, I, I sort of see it as the, the like I said, like the like the crown, the 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 uh, the golden dawn as uh, originally at its height, originally in that what twenty years of of its uh, uh, golden age uh, was sort of the the formula of Osiris at its. At, at its peak, it was the adepts, the adepts of the uh, of the uh, aeon of aeon of Horus, not the not the degeneration of the of the age of Horus, not the medieval, you know, crap, you know, of uh, of the decay of the formula, but truly the adepts of it. And they did indeed, in my opinion, uh, pave pave the way for the 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 next uh, next aeon. Uh, but there are uh, various practitioners operating. Uh, uh, some, I I think, on the on the surface. Uh, very uh, elegantly and and uh, 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 traditionally, uh, that I do sort of see as uh, a broken application of that. Uh, in other words, not, uh, uh, I you know anybody that's doing magical work, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say anything. Uh, uh, negative because everybody is operating, I think, on their uh, as best they can. But there are some uh, Golden Dawn uh, uh, groups 
that I think uh, are a healthy representation of the of the magic and the formula and those that are not. And uh, just like there's there's bad pennies and yeah. bad apples in, in in every organization. Uh, in 2002, we were literally doing a neophyte initiation here in Vancouver when the front door was broken in and our sentinel attacked by none other than David Griffin. Disrupting the entire initiation, I had to get off the dais. The whole temple came out to hear the disturbance and saw our sentinel with a claymore held against his chest, trying to get him out and him trying to hit it away from her. It was clown town. Crazy. What a story. Well, eh? I, I, I would I would. Probably interpret that as an unhealthy uh, uh, application. Yeah. Well, he wanted yeah. us to bow down and make him the chief of our temple, even though we had no idea who he was. Really, we just well, we just knew he was a uh, uh, he was a, 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 a he tried to sort of I think uh, you know he was a bad he was a bad apple that came from Chris Monaster's great group and. And then tried to, and then he trademarked the name. So that's history. We don't need to go into that. So it's on the past. Well, but I was, I asked about the broken. Things are pretty obvious. And the, and the, uh, what I'm very encouraged about is the, uh, what I'm seeing uh, as a, uh, as sort of a hybrid uh, ta uh, taking the formula into the aeon of horus formula as 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 if it would be uh uh like here's here's the running the you know how you before you jump you take a running leap okay it's it's like uh I, i've seen uh, uh well i guess the, the easiest way to describe it is uh uh, uh, taking the 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 golden dawn uh, formula uh, uh, to the place where you do take it into the next the next step uh, the next uh, sort of logical uh, logical step and giving uh, uh, not only uh, total total respect but total. Uh, 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 utilization of the of the golden dawn formula and uh, images and stuff because uh, you you never you never throw the baby jesus out with the bath water you hear that you hear that he hears you thank you he says that was in, this is incidentally was given to me while i was uh, doing a guest lecture at Canterbury for Dr. Angela Voss's PhD in grad students by the very Golden Dawn chief adept who was calling me a basically a oath breaker, you know, before this we started this interview. Gotta love it, eh? You gotta love it. You gotta love life. It's just so fucking crazy, man. I know. I love this shit. I love it too. A listener did have a question. I th I said I think you've answered it in many books, but he wants to know where you got the name Baba Lawn from. So uh, because he asked, I asked. Well, uh, my name's Lon, and Baba, Baba is a, a avuncular term of endearment in 
and respect in in the, in the East, in India, and things like that. And uh, Babylon is how Crowley spells Babylon, and it adds a hundred to a hundred and fifty six, uh, which is a very sacred Kabbalistic number, and uh, it's a play on words. And uh, my my father always told, and my father was he was a Freemason. 32nd degree Freemason. He joined the Masons the year I was born, 1948. And, uh, but he wasn't a mystical guy, you know, he was, uh, but he wasn't a religious guy either. If he wasn't a Mason, he would have been an atheist. And that's almost, that's almost uh, what he told us. Uh, because he wasn't, a, my mother was sort of an evangelical, and he he was tolerant, but he wasn't a uh, wasn't a religious guy. And I said, "Well, gee, you 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 act like there you're an atheist." No, I can't be an atheist, son. I'm a Freemason. <laughs> that's but, you know. But I've that, got that, my dues receipt to prove it otherwise. And but he said, "Look." Never, ever, ever change your name because I always complained about Milo. I always complained about Lon. None of my friends were named Lon. None of my friends were named Milo. Duquette sounded cool because it was French, so I liked that. But he always, always insisted that I capitalize the Q in the name. So uh, uh, most Duquettes in the world just have a small Q. Uh, but he said, never change your name. It's a magic name. And this is coming from a very unmagical, unmystical guy. It's a magic name. Never change it. I chose your name on purpose, just the way it is. Never change it. So I've always used my own name as my magical motto. Uh, well, I've got magical mottos, AA kind of stuff, you know, front yeah. of this and front of that. But when people uh, in groups and things like that, I'm Frutter GLMP, you know, and uh, I'll use my initials because that's uh, LMD, Lamed. Good one. Yeah. Lamed Ben Clifford. Yeah. My, father's, my father's name was Clifford. And uh, so it's LMD, son of Clifford. Lamed Ben Clifford, that's my... That's my magical name. I use that. And I've always used Lon Milo Duquette when I started writing, when I started songwriting, when I started publishing and, and singing and recording. It's always been Lon Milo Duquette. And, uh, 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 you know, uh, just replace English letters with stock Hebrew letters. It adds up to 444. And 444 is... You know, all multiples of uh, 111 are cool, but 444 is not, it's not 666, you know. 444 is um, what I use for this podcast as a sacred number. I used to drop the episodes every day during COVID at 444 and such. Oh, well, that's cool. But it, it was a certain sense of identity, you know. I think it, Kabbalistically, uh, uh, biblically, I, I think the word plague of frogs 
adds up to 444. So 444 is also Dalit Mem Tav. Dalit yeah. Mem Tav DMT. Yeah. Okay. The doorway to the infinite ocean of Binah balances all things within you. Yeah, it's it's really it's a he was right. It's a magical, magical name. And so uh, uh, 156 is uh, uh, a, a very sacred uh, number in Thelema, number one, because it's Babylon. And uh, uh, at Monday night magic class, uh, uh, you know, some people refer to their father as, as dad. Okay, my son always called me Papa. Okay, which is pretty much Baba. And uh, at Monday Night Magic class, for years, especially when our son was home, um, everybody called me Papa. All of his friends called me Papa. Uh, even after they're 30 years old, <laughs> I could I would go shopping and one of his old friends in the parking lot, hey, Papa. So I'm, and um, Baba, Baba Lan makes a lot of, lot of sense to me. And, and uh, a lot of, a lot of my friends call me Baba Lan and things like that. So. Well, I'm so glad actually that I asked that question, even though I sort of knew the answer, but your answer was wonderful and, and, and uh, circuitous and, and, and informative. So yeah, th thanks to Caleb Burr for that question. Thanks listeners for all the questions and all the praise that you guys showered. I can't just repeat it all because that would be a whole podcast. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it has been such a, such a treat to talk to you. Um, I don't know what well, else. It's been my pleasure too. On this, yeah. this hot yeah. It's a hot. It's hot for me, but I can't imagine down there. I hope you have air conditioning. Of course, you probably must. No, no oh, dear no. Lord, heaven. Oh wow, saints preserve us, Jesus. Yeah, we uh, we open up the house in the morning and put some fans on, and uh, cool it off. And uh, we have air conditioning, but it. it it's really bad for our nose and throat and things like that. We 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 don't have good air conditioning uh, here, so uh, we just use fans at the moment. So. Yeah, that's what that's what we got. So I, I turned them off for the podcast, of course, so it's nice and toasty in here. Um, I just yeah. want to say the reason I I, I I work one of the main magicians I work with in town is an OTO guy, a brother Mason as well. Um, I, ironically, the second degree of masonry is the only mason degree I turned down, but that's because they sort of didn't communicate with me after the first initiation. And I didn't want to go through a second one without any anything, no contact, like first initiation, no contact, then a call ready for tonight. No, I'm not. So and I've never been able to finish the Blue Lodge as a result. I, I'm still trying today. And they're like, not really uh it's heads, really heads should roll for the heads should roll for that that's yeah. what every american mason i've ever talked to has said and yet i had some help to try and finish the it here again and it was just uh yeah it, it's unfortunate 
but I asked about the uh, so I, I sorry that just popped in my head because you mentioned about don't refusing initiations and I did actually refuse one one time because I didn't I, I, yeah I couldn't just do initiation after initiation with nothing in between it didn't make any sense to me especially having gone through the whole Golden Dawn experience I'm like what is this I don't know yeah, what this it, is. no it, it's different I I wouldn't expect anything in between that you don't put there yourself. Yeah, there was no communication with me about what I needed to do or learn or what any of it meant. Um, I just went to the first initiation, did my fellow craft. Then we drank scotch and toasted the queen for two hours. And then I went home and that and then there, there was a call for another initiation. And that's sort of so unfortunately, I might have to wait till I get back to the States and just sort of start over with a new lodge down there. Sub, sub, you know, under the oh. key. Um, well, yeah. yeah, you you very seldom get any. Um particular esoteric thrills and chills uh but there's preparation I, needed for this for the initiation oh yeah yeah they should have given you a coach and you should have had memory work and you should have Nothing. no they they dropped the ball on you big time and now yeah. they won't let me finish the degrees at another lodge because they want me back even though they're defunct and they're two hours out of town now, as opposed to I want to finish my degrees at the same lodge. My great great grandfather was a most worshipful master of five minutes from where I live right now, where all my current friends are current members, but they won't let me um, do it. It's really was, far out. You were treated scandalously. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Masons tried to sign me up at Pantheacon, and I told them that little story. And the guy with the big bolt, the big funny hat that you might have seen walk around, you know, the one a guy meant. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was just like, he was like, brother, oh my God. Oh. He, he basically wanted to adopt me after that. And I was like, I really, I it, if it wasn't for the attitude of Masons like yourself and him and the other ones I met when I was at Isis Oasis, just there around Geyserville and Sonoma County, I wouldn't have ever considered finishing and going back to Masonry. But I had so much, so I met, had met such good, interesting people, even just on the road. Um, because I was wearing a hat, I didn't know you weren't meant to wear light under third degree. I didn't know that someone gave me a hat. I needed a hat, so I wore it. And so people would see or say, "Are you a mason? You just have a hat." And I'd be like, "No, I'm first degree. I can do the first degree handshake." And they'd be like, "Oh, tell me your story." And they were so nice, just random people I met in California that I was like, "You know what? When I get back to Canada, I'm going to finish Blue Lodge." And it's been a few years, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So I might have to wait till I get back to the states. So, oh, have you told your story to Troy? To try? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. He started a podcast and he's sort of not really talking to me, so I don't know why. Maybe I think he's he likes to do his own thing. I don't know. Yeah. Oh. Well if you if you got his inf uh his uh uh his number, tell him I encouraged you to uh to give him a call and tell your story. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And just the last the last point, the reason I've mentioned the broken tradition thing is because Foolish Fish made a video on initiation this week and called the broke, the Golden Dawn a broken tradition in contradistinction to other systems out there like Quirea and Gallery of Magic and stuff like that. And I pushed back. I wrote a comment. I said, it's not a broken tradition. It's a beautiful tradition that spawned all of so much, so many wonderful things and is alive and well today. So why are you calling it that? And he, he gave me a heart for that. And so I assume he sort of liked my point. But then Marco oh, Visconti jumped on it and doubled down. I was like, no, it's a fucking broken tradition. 
And I just, I wanted to your opinion because, you know, you're so respected. And I'm, as someone who works with a local, my buddy, Frater Bacchus, he's an AA, OTO, Mason guy. We do magic together. We build tools together. We jam music together. We have, he has a little studio. He's one of my best friends in town and made magical friends, though. We haven't seen each other so much recently because of COVID, but the, I, I want, I, I like, I'm an Aquarius. I like the idea of people working together and being communal and, and having at least, you know, some, a bit of loving kindness for each other. And this constantly like see this, this nonsensical, the golden dawn in OTO and AA and these traditions are so similar as like you were having cocktails with McMurtry and Rigardi. I think this, this animosity that new members or even reputable members promote is just so heartbreaking to me. It's so discouraging to me. It often does just put me into the doldrums for long periods of time. I don't know. I don't, it's not. No, a don't it's just, don't ever expect thought. anybody else to, to uh, uh, make you happy. For sure. Just, for sure. Just have to, just have to bring to it what you, what you will. And uh, uh, honestly, in, in 30 or 40 years, when people grow old and die, uh, you find out that, that people that, that you have big problems with uh, sometimes turn out to just be wonderful, wonderful people that uh, also uh, grow up and grow in the same way that you grow up and grow too. So remember, we've only got so much uh, uh, time during this particular blink of a consciousness eye and uh, that uh, and we've only got so many cast of characters to, to work with. You probably don't don't want the ones that, that break in and <laughs> break through the door and demand shit you know you could probably avoid them uh, the but, old your uh, leader has arrived in flames and glory <laughs> oh, bearing a that, trademark document from the government it is very stylish that was <laughs> oh lord well okay I Ron, thank go. you so much for being on here with us today for sharing with me your grace and love and wit and and humor I can't thank you enough. It's always an honor to cross paths with you. And uh, you personally, your work and your presence has given me so much um, in my life in the past, just in the past uh, seven years uh, since I first met you with Troy and, and got to go to the Gnostic Mass. And that was an eye-opening experience for me that really changed my whole opinion on on my brothers across the aisle in the in Thelema. And, uh, and uh, I'm glad it did because I've had so many, found so many friendships and magical relationships that are, bring a lot into my life. So I hope that we can continue to have that kind of uh, grace towards each other. Oh, me too. Me too. And right. uh, give me a, a heads up when number 93 comes up for uh broadcast it'll be very soon and i will definitely give you a heads up good sir thank you so much and as you say 93 brother 93 thank Love you for having me. cheers have a great day you too